This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation. The League of Women Voters, a nonpartisan political organization, encourages the informed and active participation of citizens in government and influences public policy through education and advocacy. The goal of the League of Women Voters of the United States is to empower citizens to shape better communities worldwide. Sponsored by the League of Women Voters of the Midland Area and Midland Community T Television, or MCTV. This evening, you will be hearing from the two candidates vying for the 98th District Michigan House of Representatives to be determined in the general election to be held November 6th. The candidates are Republican Annette Glenn and Democrat Sarah Schultz. I am Kim Steinke, Voter Services Co-Chair for the League of Women Voters of the Midland Area. The League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan political organization that works at the national, state, and local levels. Membership in the League is open to all people age 16 and over, both women and men. We are committed to the informed and active participation of citizens in government, and we neither support nor oppose candidates. We are always welcome new members. Information about joining the League is available on our website www.lwv-midland.org or you can ask any League member about it. Here's an overview of how tonight's program will run. Each candidate will have two minutes for an opening statement. Following that, I'll pose a series of questions to each candidate and they will be allowed a two-minute response. After both have responded to a question, each will have an opportunity for a one-minute reply. The candidates have participated in a drawing to determine who will be the first speaker. The order will be rotated throughout the forum. Following the question and answer period, each candidate will have an opportunity to make a one-minute closing statement. Judy Donahue and Judy McDowell are our official timers. One of them will raise a warning card when the speaker has 30 seconds, then 15 seconds, and when time is up, they will hold up a red stop card, and you will be allowed to complete the sentence. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone that we are having a candidate forum tonight, not a debate. 
Therefore, I'm asking the audience to please refrain from any vocal reactions for or against any candidate or statements made by the candidates and to applaud only when the moderator has announced that the forum has ended. Now let's get started with the candidates for the 98th District of the Michigan House of Representatives. The 98th District includes the city of Midland and Midland, Homer, Lee, Jerome, Lincoln, and Larkin Townships, plus part of Bay County. Again, the candidates tonight who are vying are Republican Annette Glenn and Democrat Sarah Schultz. To get down to business, we start with our opening statements. Annette has drawn the privilege of being the first to give her opening statement. Thank you, and thanks to the League of Women Voters for all that work they do and for this op opportunity. Thank you. As a longtime church, community, and scouting volunteer, I've had plenty of time to volunteer at Shelter House, Midland Blooms, served as a treasurer for any number of youth groups of track, basketball, and debate. Oh, scouting was one of my favorites. Those years with my boys and scouts were great. We've got four Eagle Scouts and a daughter who's married to an Army Infantry gentleman. We appreciate both of their service. In my early years, in the 20s, um, started as a legislative intern, worked on Capitol Hill, ran statewide campaigns. Currently, I've been a small business owner for about 20 years. That gave me more flexibility and time to spend with my children. I am pleased with the number of endorsements I've already received. Our Congressman, John Molinar, Attorney General Bill Schutte, Commissioner Von Begeck from over in Bay County, Senator Stamas, Mark Bone, who's our County Commissioner Chair, also been endorsed by Associated Builders and Contractors of Michigan and also our local chapter, Great Lakes Education Project, Home Builders Association of Michigan, Michigan Chamber of Commerce, the Michigan Corn Growers Association, also Friends of Corn Pack, uh, Michigan Freedom Fund, Michigan Manufacturing Association, National Federation of Independent Business, the National Rifle Association, Right to Life of Michigan, Small Business Association of Michigan. Three of my top priorities are going to be lowering our car insurance rates, really working with literacy with our third graders. We have some of the lowest reading scores nationwide and that needs to be turned around immediately. And finally, I'd love to roll back that temporary income tax that was passed in 2007 and repeal the pension tax. Thank you. It's your turn for two minutes. Great, thanks Kim. Um, and thank you to the League for all you do to help uh, looking out for voters' rights and for educating voters, and thanks to MCTV for putting on this event. Just to introduce myself, I'm a local mom. I have kids in uh, Midland Public Schools. I'm also the wife of a teacher over in Bay County, and the daughter, granddaughter, and great-granddaughter of UAW auto workers. I'm also the, a nonprofit executive. I'm the, I'm the vice president in human resources for one of the largest education-based nonprofits in the country. We employ over 5,000 employees in 28 urban locations all over the country, and I manage a budget of over $100 million. My organization puts teams of young people into high-need schools to help teachers and students reach their potential. And in fact, my whole career has been spent in the nonprofit sector. I've always worked for organizations that are looking to lift people up, organizations that are looking to and help give voice to those who feel they are voiceless and give power to those who, are, who feel they are power, powerless. 
Um, my job as an HR executive is to hire great people and keep them engaged and productive and to make sure that they reach their potential. And to do that, I'm trained in areas like conflict management, change management, and project management and leadership. My specialty in my organization is bringing people together from different opinions and perspectives to solve problems for our organization, and I know that these skills will benefit me well when I go to Lansing. I know Michigan values because I was shaped by them. I was born in Flint, raised right here in mid-Michigan, just like five generations of my family. And I'm not a career politician. Uh, my family business is not politics. It's always just been hard work and helping people. And I'm in this race to further that life's focus. And I hope you'll send me to Lansing so I can continue to do all the good I can in all the places I can for just as long as I can. Thank you. Thank you for that introductory information. Now let's begin hearing your answers to questions that members of the Midland League believe will be of interest to voters. I'll let you know when it's your turn to answer each question. Also, please note the questions will appear on the monitor. Sarah, we'll take your response to the first question, which is, what do you think are the biggest problems in Michigan that should be addressed by the state legislature? Thanks, Kim. Um, I appreciate that question so much because I've been talking with voters since there was snow on the ground. We started, I started doing listening parties and going door to door. And the three things that, that have been brought to my attention the most in, in the most places are education, good jobs, and health care and caring for those that we love. And I am committed to bringing those issues to Lansing when it's my turn to go to Lansing after I'm elected in November, because it's not about me and my pet projects, it's about what the voters in this district care about the most. And so I've met with teachers to talk about education and the issues related to um, the focus on standardized testing and the respect that we afford and yet don't afford to our teachers and our community. Um, I've met with workers who are worried about their jobs who have might have jobs but they're not the good jobs that they need to afford them the security and the flexibility to live the lives that they want to live and I've met with people who have health care or lack health care and they're worried about what's going to happen to their uh, futures related to that so those are the main issues and problems that we just need to solve and we solve that by coming together um, no matter what p place we sit on the political spectrum to, um, to come together and to solve these problems. Um, we should stop digging into our, our political ends of the extreme and start really talking to each other and solve these problems because I'm a bit of an idealist and I believe in this great state and this great country and that if we can uh, put aside our personal differences, then we can solve the problems that face um, the people of Michigan. Annette, you have up to two minutes to respond. Thank you. The three top priorities that I chose had to do a lot with who I talked to. As I knocked on doors over and over again, I heard stories about how car insurance, the high rates, were impacting keeping families from moving here. I uh, talked to one gentleman. They maintained their cars extensively, but were rear-ended in a parking lot. and given the rate of insurance, they're no longer able to purchase a second car and we'll have to figure out how to do with one. It's one of those things that I hear that keeps people from moving to our state. 
I also hear extensively about education and the fact that our kids, especially our third graders, are not reading as much as they should at that level. That's important. If we can't teach our third graders and get them ready for fourth grade for careers, whether it be college bound or skilled trades, we've not prepared them. And having worked with the Dyslexia Center, I think we've got some good ideas on how to help improve that. I've worked with Representative Tim Kelly and getting some test projects into some schools and I am just really looking forward to the results. They've had such great success. I'm just looking forward to um, others wanting to jump in and voluntarily be part of that program. And then taxes. When I talk to our seniors, they often tell me that they relocate to Florida. There's no income tax in Florida or pension tax. So although they may spend part of the year here, they change their residency due to our tax base. We lost, in the, under the previous administration, about 800,000 people. We don't have all of them back home. I recently had a chance to look through my Facebook and see how many of my friends, my neighbors, no longer live in Michigan because our economy force them to leave. We need to bring them home. This is their home. They want to come home. Let's bring them home. Sarah, do you want to take advantage of the allotted one minute reply? I would, Kim, thank you. Um, well, you know, Annette, I agree that those are also three important issues. I too hear about um, car insurance uh, at, when I'm talking to folks door to door. Um, education, of course, is one, and also um, in taxes and, and good jobs. I want to just double down a bit on education because uh, you know third grade reading levels is an important um, factor to focus on for sure. However, our current Attorney General, Bill Sudi, actually went to court to deny that third graders have constitutional rights to literacy. And Michigan's education problem is so much bigger than third grade reading levels. In fact, Michigan is last on every measure of education when you compare other Midwestern states. So the problem is bigger than just one, than looking for one solution to one slice of the problem. And I've been talking to teachers, I've been endorsed by the Michigan Education Association, and I've sat with hundreds of teachers in, in forums and in other venues um, to just understand the, the issues around education very deeply. So I think that education becomes a multifaceted problem that we need to solve and we can solve it by actually speaking with the educators that are on the front lines of the issue. Annette? I love our teachers. We have amazing teachers here. Out of my family, I have three siblings that chose to go into the teaching profession. There's a lot that can be done in education. With a two-year term, choose to focus on things that can actually be accomplished and moved on with two years, we can make a difference. I look for things that are, make a difference in everything else. Small changes increase everything. Our kids, if they're not reading, won't be able to progress in school. They won't be available, have the resources to attend college. They won't be able to be involved in the skilled trades. We need to back these kids. Annette, you have the first chance to answer this next question for up to two minutes. What should the government do to provide an equitable, quality public education for all children pre-K through grade 12? Well, Proposal A was totally designed to bring that money for K through 12. And that money has been, to a large extent, a lot of it has been going to higher education. 
it's important that that money go back to what we told the voters that it would go for, that we would use it in our K through 12 schools. Preschool is incredibly important. We need to get those kids ready for everything that they've got coming up. Um, I have a number of preschool age grandchildren and their parents spend a lot of time working with them and not everybody has that opportunity with parents that are fully engaged and ready to help those kids get ready. Um, <laughs> there's so much to talk about that. Um, I just love public education. Um, we had kids that graduated from Bay City Western and from Midland High. Um, their career center over in Bay Aranac was instrumental in getting our son where he wanted to head dream-wise um, into the space industry. It was what he learned there that took him from Delta College to work for Virgin Galactic. It's important that we give our kids all of the opportunities and all of the options for education that we possibly can. Thank you. Sarah? Sure, thanks, uh, Kim. So when I hear this question, I kind of focus on the word equitable. Um, and I think about my kids who go to Midland Public Schools. And Midland Public Schools is a great school district. It's part of the reason why we live here in Midland. And the first week of school, they both came home with, uh, with Chromebook laptops. And they were so excited to do that until they uh, found out they couldn't play Minecraft on those, on those laptops. Um, but I had to tell them that their, the fact that they had laptops was great, um, but their dad's students over in Bay County um, don't get laptops the first day of school and in fact they have one set classroom set of of laptops for the whole uh, of the kids of the school and in my organization that works with um, high-need school districts uh, all over the country I have set foot in many schools that have so so much lack of resources including the Detroit public schools where in some classrooms students have to wear winter coats in order to be warm enough to learn so equitable is is the issue that I would focus on because um, it shouldn't matter what your zip code is uh, th that should not be the determination of your future um, so I think that's important and what I would um, focus on similar to what Annette said is making sure that we're using the school aid fund for what it was intended for which is K through 12 education the school aid fund in the last several years has been reduced by uh, and been used by uh, by about three billion dollars for things that were not K through 12 education we need to use those funds for what they were intended for and I would also make sure that we have high quality really engaged teachers in every classroom in our district and in the state we have wonderful teachers um, but teaching is such a challenging profession to get into because of all of the constraints and hardships that teachers face and we need to make sure that we're not um, we're focusing on this um, growing teacher shortage in our state so that uh, people want to get into the profession and stay in it for their career thank you Annette thank you I would like to make sure we have at-risk funds that are come from the state and in the past they have not followed the child it would be important to me that those funds specifically go where we have at-risk schools and at-risk children. Um, I think there was 500,000 that was brought into Midland for the first time and we need to, but that's half of what Midland 
actually needs for its at-risk kids. Having talked to the superintendent, they got very specific about what those at-risk funds were used, which had to do a lot with reading. <laughs> that uh, reading is just a key issue. That reading is what helps them learn their math, geography, and everything else. So I would like that at-risk fund to follow those kids. Sarah? So I just wanted to, to follow up and just mention um, school choice and the charter school system. So um, when I hear and think about schools, I also think about what's happened in our school system in Michigan when it comes to school of choice. And um, when I think about that, I think about the DeVos family. And in fact, my opponent has been funded uh, by the DeVos family with um, some maximum level donations. And I think that, first of all, um, for-profit charter schools is just an absolute conflict of interest and we need to make sure we eliminate those from our whole school system. I also think we need to hold the rest of the charter schools accountable to the same standards that our public schools have. Um, things like they have to accept all students, they have to be accountable to the same education standards. Um, I think that we shouldn't be robbing our public schools to give funding and to fund the charter schools where only small amounts of students have the opportunity for that choice. Um, um, and so I think that we need to really focus on that and make sure we keep our funding in our public schools for strong public schools first. Sarah, you're first on this question. What is your position on tax dollars being allocated to both public and private education? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you, Kim. To, to reiterate that uh, point that I just made, um, you know, I think that our, our public tax dollars should go to public schools. That's what they're intended for. They should go into the school aid fund and be spent on uh, K through 12 um, public education. They shouldn't go to charter schools or for-profit charter schools in particular. Nobody should become wealthy um, because they're uh, running a for-profit uh, charter school. And I, I do think that um, within our strong public school system, students do have the resources that they need if we can resource those public schools adequately. So um, when you hear, when we hear school choice, we think that students have to go out of the public schools to get the education that they need, which is not true. My husband is a teacher. Um, my, you know, my kids are in public schools. I work in an education-based nonprofit. I know schools really well. I've set foot in schools throughout this country, and I know that, that we can have public and private partnerships that will allow us to have strong public schools and give students all that they need right there in the public schools. Um, and so I am not a, a in favor of diverting um, uh, public tax dollars, particularly to fund for-profit schools, and I question that the uh, uh, efficacy of uh, other charter schools to actually um, educate our students. Thanks. Annette? Thank you. I actually am supportive of tax dollars going with the child. Not every child is a cookie cutter and not everything fits for the same child in the same place. With our five children, we used every single option that was available to get them the education that they each needed. Some of that did include charter school. Some of it included private school, which we of course paid for. Some of it was public school. Some of it was the career center. We used every option available for our kids to meet their needs. I would totally support other parents having that option every child needs what is best for that child and parents need the opportunity to make those choices and find what is best for their kids. Charter schools, 
may be the best option for them. Public school was the best option for some of our kids. Sarah, one minute. Thank you, Kim. So, you know, I think that not all students actually have those options, right? So maybe here in Midland, you have the option to go to uh, various charter schools or, or um, other school options. But if you live in rural communities, you actually don't have those options. And when we divert uh, tax dollars out of our public school system, um, we are, we are not making good on our promise to students and to children and to families in all of our communities, not just the communities that have the, uh, the ability and the wealth to, to provide those choices. And I do think that focusing first on strong public schools with strong teachers and really engaged teachers that are really, really well supported, um, is, it should be our very first priority in, in education in Michigan. Annette? Thank you. We do have great teachers here and we do have great options. Um, one of the other things that I would advocate is getting rid of Common Core. I've talked to any number of educators that talk about how much additional testing that that requires from them as opposed to giving them teaching time. So I think that would benefit across the board, public and private schools, if we could repeal Common Core and give those teachers more time to teach and less time to test. Okay. The next question is yours first. Thank you. What are your highest priority environmental concerns? Oh, obviously water. Water's gonna be right at the top of our concerns. I mean, we're the Great Lakes, right? So we have absolutely got to protect those waters. So I'm excited that Governor Snyder has worked on getting line five where that's gonna be enclosed and excited about that. Sarah, your turn. Sure, thanks, Kim. So I agree, Annette. I think that water is our top environmental concern in this state. Michigan is home, or surrounded by, right, 22% um, of the world's fresh water. And we owe it to our children and our grandchildren to take care of that natural resource for generations and generations to come. And I think it's just this sort of the height of irony that here we are surrounded by the 22% of the world's fresh water, and yet we struggle even in our state to provide fresh and clean and safe drinking water to the people of our state. You know, as I mentioned, I'm from Flint, and um, I, uh, so the, the issue and the tragedy that has occurred and is still occurring in Flint is in, with the water crisis is near and dear to my heart, um, but it's not necessarily an issue that's isolated in Flint, right? I have um, family members who uh, have little children whose lead levels in their bodies are elevated from drinking the water uh, in Flint, and I just hope that the state can learn from that tragedy um, so that we can recognize when those issues might come up again and get out in front of that before that that happens in any other area when it comes to the the pipelines that are um, running through our, our um, our Great Lakes, I think that that is an issue and a, a ticking time bomb that has been um, going on for far too long. Our current leadership and our current administration has been ignoring this issue and ignoring all of the reports that say that this these pipelines, this pipeline in particular, um, could fail. And if and if we can't just uh, agree from an environmental perspective about the need to fix that pipeline, um, and we can't agree from a humanitarian perspective. That 
that we have to fix that pipeline, we should agree on an economic perspective because if those pipelines fail, then our whole uh, tourism economy, which is one of the top three economies of our state, um, is ruined is absolutely ruined. And so for that reason, for sure, water is the top environmental issue in Michigan. Annette? Thank you. So like I said, I'm excited that that pipeline is going to be encased. Um, I've had an opportunity to learn a little bit about it, the low pressure that it runs under, and to look at what it would cost overall if that pipeline were to go away. I think the number is that we would have to have 300 semis a day hauling things up to the Upper Peninsula. So first concern is make sure that that gets safe, that we enclose that so that we can still take care of our citizens up in the Upper Peninsula, make sure they have the energy and the power they need, and also keep the waters clean and safe for all of us. One minute. Thank you. Well, the, the pipeline that we're talking about actually brings uh, oil from Canada uh, through Michigan down to states um, that are south of Michigan. And so um, so I think that, you know, encasing it in this tunnel might be the best option. Um, there are other options that we need to explore um, to, to solve this the issue of the pipeline. But what is sort of um, interesting to me is that we didn't have any kind of proposed solution for this pipeline until it was election season. This pipeline has been, uh, again, a ticking time bomb for a long time. The reports have been coming out that this has been an issue for a long time, and it's not until it became an election issue that people in Lansing, leadership currently in Lansing, are willing to really take a look at it and seem to make take it seriously. I think that our environment is, is the legacy that we leave to our children, and we have to get proactive about how we solve the issues related to our environment, um, and we have to do it sincerely uh, as we're representing the people of our state, not just when we think it's going to get us elected. Thank you. Now we're going to take a break from the forum questions and you will see proposals that will be on the ballot. We'll be back in about four minutes. Thank you. <laughs> Michigan Statewide Proposal 1, a proposed initiated law to authorize and legalize possession, use, and cultivation of marijuana products by individuals who are at least 21 years of age and older, and commercial sales of marijuana through state licensed retailers. This proposal would allow individuals 21 and older to purchase, possess, and use marijuana and marijuana-infused edibles, and grow up to 12 marijuana plants for personal consumption. Impose a 10-ounce limit for marijuana kept at residences and require amounts over 2.5 ounces to be secured in locked containers. Create a state licensing system for marijuana businesses and allow municipalities to ban or restrict them. Permit retail sales of marijuana and edibles subject to a 10% tax dedicated to implementation costs, clinical trials, schools, roads, and municipalities where marijuana businesses are located. Change several current violations from crimes to civil infractions. Should this proposal be adopted, yes or no? Michigan Statewide Proposal 2 
a proposed constitutional amendment to establish a commission of citizens with exclusive authority to adopt district boundaries for the Michigan Senate, Michigan House of Representatives, and U.S. Congress every 10 years. This proposed constitutional amendment would create a commission of 13 registered voters randomly selected by the Secretary of State, four each who self-identify as affiliated with two major political parties, and five who self-identify as unaffiliated with major political parties. Prohibit partisan office holders and candidates, their employees, certain relatives, and lobbyists from serving as commissioners. Establish new redistricting criteria including geographically compact and contiguous districts of equal population, reflecting Michigan's diverse population and communities of interest. Districts shall not provide disproportionate advantage to political parties or candidates. Require an appropriation of funds for commission operations and commissioner compensation. Should this proposal be adopted? Yes or no? Michigan Statewide Proposal 3. A proposal to authorize automatic and election day voter registration, no reason absentee voting, and straight ticket voting and add current legal requirements for military and overseas voting and post-election audits to the Michigan Constitution. This proposed constitutional amendment would allow a United States citizen who is qualified to vote in Michigan to become automatically registered to vote when applying for, updating or renewing a driver's license or state-issued personal identification card unless the person declines. Simultaneously register to vote with proof of residency and obtain a ballot during the two-week period prior to an election, up to and including election day. Obtain an absent voter ballot without providing a reason. Cast a straight ticket vote to all candidates of a particular political party when voting in a partisan general election. Should this proposal be adopted? Yes or no? School Resource Officer County Millage Shall the limitation on the total amount of general ad valorem taxes which may be imposed for all purposes upon real and personal property in Midland County be increased by a total levy of up to 0.4 mills or 40 cents per $1,000 of taxable valuation as finally equalized for levy in the years 2018 through 2021 both inclusive as provided in Article 9, Section 6 Michigan Constitution of 1963, as amended, for the purpose of assigning licensed law enforcement officers from the Midland County Sheriff's Office and the Midland City Police Department as school resource officers to Midland County Public Schools, Midland Public, Meridian, Bullet Creek, and Coleman, who will provide school security and law enforcement and facilitate educational liaison between students, school staff, law enforcement officers, and the community which, if approved and levied, in its entirety is estimated to raise $1,343,531 in the first year. Back. Sarah, you're first to answer this question. What is your opinion of the existing exemption that the state legislature and governor's office have from the Freedom of Information Act? 
Thank you, Kim. I think that all of our government offices, including the governor, should not be exempt from the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, I think that we owe it to the citizens of our state, to the voters of our state, um, to have the highest level of transparency that is, is possible uh, in our state. And I think that only then can we hold our elected officials truly accountable to the work that they do, the decisions behind the work that they do, and to the, the whether or not they're doing the job of representing and making the best decisions for the people of our state. So um, I, I don't think that the, the governor's office should be exempt from uh, FOIA at all. And I think we should work to, to reverse that as soon as possible. Thank you. Annette? I'm absolutely going to agree. They should both be FOIAble. There's, uh, other than maybe some privacy issues with a specific constituent, everything should be FOIAble. There's transparency needed, and I fully support repealing that. Do you want to respond? I don't think I need to. Okay, your first to answer this question. What are your health care priorities, including women's health? Health care priorities, including women's health. So a lot of that tends to be federal issues, but there are some at the state level as well. Um, as far as the federal level, I fully support um, being able to keep our children on our policies until, I don't remember if it's 25 or 26, but fully supportive of that. Also supportive of the pre-existing conditions, allowing that to be maintained, and uh, the portability as well. Okay, Sarah. Thanks, Kim. I think healthcare is one of the main issues that uh, that we need to solve for in, in our state and in our country. Um, it's one of the issues that come up. Uh, the, the most, uh, that in education as I'm out talking with, with voters. Um, I, I spoke with a, a woman who um, whose son has a, a nut allergy and she doesn't have health insurance to cover his EpiPen uh, and also um, t uh, incur the cost of rent. So when, they, when she has to get her EpiPen, his EpiPen renewed every year, she has to balance whether or not she can afford that, which is several hundred dollars and or pay rent that, that um, month. I, I've spoken to a mother, I, I went to the door and like I always do, I said, what are the issues that keep you up at night? And she just started crying and her mascara just uh, started to run down her face and she said, I have cancer and I am just terrified that my I will lose my health insurance um, if I lose my job because I can't work and what will happen to my children um, and will I ever be able to get a new job because pre-existing conditions um, could be taken away and so I, I just think that this system of just sort of hodgepodge healthcare where um, your health insurance is dependent on your employer is is not the ideal that we should strive for in our country and so I would absolutely um, support um, making sure that we we keep and protect the uh, healthy Michigan expansion for Medicaid um, into uh, you know that we that we expanded into that Governor Snyder um, signed into law that w expanded uh, health insurance to almost 700,000 
Michigan, uh, people in Michigan, which is in jeopardy, um, which uh, some folks have looked to take away. And in, as far as women's health, I am a huge supporter of women's health. That I used to work for um, a nonprofit uh, medical clinic that had um, that really uh, had a big clientele of women that were a part of that clinic. And women's health is about family health because if our moms and our grandmothers are not healthy, then um, our families aren't healthy. And so that's a huge priority. Okay. Respond. <coughs> Just to add a little bit, um, as somebody very familiar with cancer, with my, both my husband and my father currently in battles with that, I understand the stress and the time and energy that that can take just dealing with that and wondering necessarily what, what's going to be covered, what do you have to, what do you have to choose between. Uh, we also had a son that needed an EpiPen and um, often when the government mandates things, those prices change dramatically. And we used to be able to buy his EpiPen for about $40. And once it was mandated that insurance cover it, it went up to right near $400. And we had to get very creative, including, we just had to get very creative in trying to make sure that we had an EpiPen when he needed it. So, Sarah? Thank you. Well, I agree. The cost of healthcare in the United States is out of control, and there are so many stories of people who have traveled to other countries in order to get things like EpiPens and prescription drugs at much lower cost. And we should be figuring out why the, the, our health insurance, our health care in this country is so expensive. Um, you know, I have a I have a friend of mine who is a family uh, p a physician. She's her name is Dr. Deer, and she her practice is in um, in uh, Sanford, so she sees a lot of rural patients, and she deals with a lot of um, challenges with rural healthcare and healthcare access areas where you know people don't have who can't drive are really in a food desert. They can't get healthy food, and they sort of go to the nearest convenience store for their dinners. And she talked about the impact of that on their health, on their health and their bodies. Um, and so I just think that healthcare is a problem that um, that I hear about all the time, and that we have to absolutely put some real effort into solving in a bipartisan way, talking across the aisles to make a difference and to solve this problem. Okay, Sarah, you're the first to answer our last question. What is your opinion of the three ballot proposals: Prop One, legalizing marijuana; Prop Two, redistricting; and Prop Three, voting rights? Great, thank you for that question. And that's two minutes is going to be a short time to talk about all three. Um, so uh, on the first one, on, on Proposition 1, what, what I'll just say is what we know about the polling and what we know about the history of the legalization of recreational marijuana tells us that it's probably going to pass. And it's in the hands of the voters in about 21 days, right? So I think we should be spending our time and energy in these conversations and in the legislature figuring out what happens when it passes, right? And figuring out the answers to those those questions that haven't been solved things like how do we handle drugged driving and how do we handle employer concerns um, and how do we handle people who are in prison right now for um, for things that are maybe no longer illegal um, on proposition two I'm a strong supporter of proposition two uh, Michigan has some of the most gerrymandered districts in our country and um, I think that uh, it, gerrymandering uh, leads to um, 
extremely safe districts and it leads to uh, us having uh, elected officials who have no need to compromise. There's no moderating factor on, on elected officials and so we end up with uh, more polarization and more extreme decisions made versus what we expect from our elected officials which is to come together. And on voting rights, I mean I just think that in our great democracy anyone who calls themselves patriotic should want to work to make it possible for more people to have access to exercise their voting rights. So I'm in strong favor of Proposition 3. Things like automatic registration, same-day uh, voting, same-day registration, um, no reason absentee voting, longer hours, um, straight ticket voting. I think it just makes good sense um, to be uh, to in, to do that um, and make sure that we have those rights uh, upheld in in our in our state. And the question of um, the question of voter fraud is easy to answer. We can find solutions to those those problems, but we should be um, thinking about how we make sure that people have the right um, to exercise their right to vote. Thank you. So proposition number one is the legalizing of recreational marijuana. And I'm not supportive of that. I've been watching Colorado very closely since they passed their initiative. And I'm seeing the numbers I'm seeing out of there are a little bit concerning. Well, let's be honest, a lot concerning. 30% increase in police, fire, foster care. Uh, just read an article this week, 11% increase this year in traffic fatalities that were directly attributed to drugged driving. I've got concerns about our kids. I was at a meeting two nights ago where the superintendent was talking about how are the kids gonna be able to tell with the edibles if the gummy bear is laced with marijuana or not. And just a lot of concerns about that one. So I'll be voting no on that one. And number two, um, so currently right now there's 110 legislators that work to draw those lines. And it looks like the way I read this one on redistricting that the Secretary of State is gonna have the ability to appoint every single person that will be drawing those lines. So to me that sounds like less control instead of more control. So I'll be a no on the redistricting one. On three, promote the vote. There are some great things in there um, and some things that I'm really concerned about. Ballot security is my number one concern with that one. Being able to show up and vote and not have either citizenship or residency, being able to be determined when you vote and having that checked after voting. I just think that's ripe for fraud. If you say you're a property owner, you own multiple residences, you could easily come in with a utility bill from six different places and show up and register and vote in six different places. So biggest concern on the Voting Rights Act is ballot security. Um, as far as straight ticket balloting, I don't have a super strong feeling on that one way or the other. I'll come on my one minute. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Sarah, do you Thanks. wish to reply? I would. Thanks, Kim. Um, I think just to just to double down on two of them, right? On Proposition Two, um, some of the arguments is that it will won't lead to necessarily fair districts. But what I always say to that is, our districts are drawn in a partisan fashion by design right now. They're drawn by people who are elected from parties. And Proposition Two seeks to change that. Is it perfect? I don't know, but I think that it's a step in the right direction um, to help fix the fact that our our 
districts are some of the most gerrymandered in the country. And on Proposition uh, 3, I just think that the only reason that a legislator would uh, not want to make it easier to vote, that what we hear is this sort of trumped up idea and concern about voter fraud, but the Brennan Center for Justice in 2017 uh, came out and said that voter fraud occurs less than 0.1% of the time. And in fact, there are only 31 uh, documented instances of voter fraud out of a billion ballots. And so I think that the only reason to make it, uh, the only reason, the actual reason to not want to make it easier to vote is to disenfranchise other voters. And we need to make it easier for people to exercise their, their rights to vote in this country. Okay. Thank you. So back to straight ticket balloting. As I said, I didn't feel real strongly about that. But I do think if you can vote straight ticket, it leads to more political citing instead of one. To being able to look at each person individually and make that decision I think makes us stronger. And ballot security is going to be my number one issue. If you can show up and not have your citizenship checked and verified that day um, before you vote, I think that's just ripe for voter fraud. And I think I've given you my information about what I think about marijuana. I'm very concerned about our kids. 30% increase in foster care, police, and fire in marijuana with the marijuana use there. 11% increase in traffic fatalities. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We're now ready to finish with our one-minute closing statements from our candidates. And Annette, you'll be going first. Thank you. I'd like to thank the League of Women Voters for having us here again. It's a long time volunteer here in the community and small business owner. I'm ready to start in Lansing the day I get the day I get there. Familiar with the legislative process, familiar with our constituents. This district is unique. I love it here. I love this state. I love this country. That's why you do things like run for office. That's why you knock on thousands of doors and talk to lots of people. You do it because you love the area. You want to make a difference. Thank you. Sarah? Thanks, Kim. I want to also thank the, the League, again, for putting on this great event. Uh, I've been talking to thousands of voters since, uh, since there was snow on the ground. And one thing that's been consistent through all those conversations is that when two people sit across from each other, they agree on so much more than they disagree, regardless of political parties. And one, the other thing that is consistent is we are so very tired of the current state of politics and leadership. Um, we are tired of this environment where people just dig in on these extreme sides of any one issue and just scream into the void and nothing gets done. We're tired of the yelling and the lies and the outside groups and the misinformation and the dirty politics. We've already seen that in this race already. And isn't that exactly what we hate so much about politics? I think we need to elect people like me who with a proven track record of working with diverse groups of people to solve conflicts. This is why my campaign color is purple. It's the combination of red, Republican, and blue, Democrat, and a symbol and a constant reminder that it's actually possible to work together to get things done for the good of, of, of the whole community. I'm Sarah, and I just hope that you, uh, that you consider voting for me, and I will do exactly that in Lansing. Thank you. That's it, voters. The candidates for the 98th Michigan House seat have given you a few of their views. We hope something that was said tonight will help you make up your mind about which candidate will receive your vote on November 6th. I want to take this time to thank the candidates for participating in the forum.
Even more important, a sincere thank you to both of you for your willingness to serve as elected officials in these challenging times of governing. And to our listeners and our viewers, I thank you also for your time and interest in watching this forum. We believe it is vital that the citizens demonstrate informed and active participation in our government, so be sure to vote. The polls will open on Election Day Tuesday, November 6th from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. If you are voting in person, be sure you know the location of your designated voting place and have your necessary ID with you. For more information on the candidates, you can go to our vote411.org online website and the League of Women Voters has a guide that you can read. Absentee ballots for those out of town on election day or otherwise qualified to vote early are available at the clerk's offices in the city and throughout Midland County. Absentee ballots must be returned to the clerk's office before close of the polls on Tuesday, November 2nd, 6th. If you have any questions about the absentee voting or any other aspect of the election process, please contact the appropriate clerk's office. And finally, I want to extend a very special thank you to the people who have made this program possible. To our co-sponsor, MCTV, Matt Richardson, manager of MCTV and Library Communications, production director Kevin LaDuke and crew, and the MCTV volunteers. Thanks also to the following contributors from the League of the Women Voters of the Midland area. President Catherine Redwine, Sue McAllister, Judy Donahue, Judy McDowell, and Kathy Mitzel. Thank you, and remember to vote on November 6th. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov mctv